DJ and PK in the morning, proudly presented by Mark Miller Subaru. Coming up, Antoine Staley, Oregon Ducks B-Rider for the Eugene Register Guard, will join us at 9.30 to talk about the big game Saturday. Ducks and Utes, the big game, but it's the hors d'oeuvres, the even bigger game, PK. It is, potentially. I think so. I'm expecting it. You have to put in potentially because neither team is clinched. Although the winning team in this game will clinch, and the losing team could clinch later that night. The Utes would clinch if ASU lost, and Oregon would clinch if Oregon State lost. Ironically, those two are playing each other. So, they haven't clinched. It is a potential showdown in two weeks, but it is also a probable showdown in two weeks. Yeah. It's weird. But nevertheless, you cannot discount this game. Uh, and Utah's trying to, to to get more more role here uh, because if they were to win out, they'll open next year in the top ten. Nice. They will. They will. No, you're right. You're right. Because it's all well if Kyle doesn't retire, right? Uh, even because still, you got to have your coach back. You got to have your quarterback back. Well, if they. If they win out, and and then they win the Rose Bowl, say they win out, literally win out. Dream finish for you fans. Scally's your next head coach if Kyle were to retire, but I don't think he would. I think next year. If he wins out at 11-3, and three, he'd be back to make a run at a playoff? Why not? He can suck it up for one more season easily <laughs> enough, couldn't you? It can't be as hard as this past year. <laughs> this past year, you can literally say, I didn't sign up for this. And usually if a college football coach says that, you would say, yeah, you did. You literally signed up for this. But I think in Kyle's case, you didn't sign up for the last year. Right. So, wow, if they were to win out, and that would mean Rising would play well, he's coming back. Uh, you're going to have some guys leave for sure. Obviously, Devin Lloyd needs to go make himself some money, and we'll see what uh, Keith he would do and some other guys. Who knows? Uh, but still, I think given the flux nature of the situation with the Devils and the Trojans, uh, you would be you would be picked to win. Certainly, I think you'd be uh, very highly ranked going into the season. And I mean, we're getting way ahead of ourselves, but they 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 would be a legitimate playoff contender next year. And then and then at that point, man, you've really established yourself as a dominant program in this division and in this conference. There's really no doubt about it. So now, if they should lose on Saturday, it, it is not even close to the end of the world. Particularly, you know, if you give it a very difficult game and uh, Oregon makes a play like they made a couple of. Well, I think uh, Herbert was a freshman, and Carrington got his foot down by like a half an inch, and they won that ball game. Uh, that happens, yep. but that wouldn't discourage me at all going into Las Vegas. Not zero. Zero. Zero discouragement. Uh, so, and in a sense, uh, I viewed not this as a throwaway year by any stretch, but I viewed this as a reloading year as a continuation of what it was supposed to be last year. If they would have played 13 games last year, I would have had a different mindset towards this year. But since they only played five games last year, and they were disjointed games too, you know, all over the map, you're going to play, not play, and all that stuff. So there was really no flow. Uh, to me, there were like five practice games. 
and this year is a continuation of last year. Um, and so with that in mind, I viewed it last year as a little bit of a reload year and so somewhat of a bonus this year. If you were to lose, look at it that way because I still think you'll kind of come back as the favorite next year uh, and your program's in a good spot. Four more wins. Four more wins. Chant it, PK. Chant it with me. Well, let's get to the Rose Bowl first. And the good thing about that is there would be a lot of celebration, and then you'd have another three-plus weeks to regroup and try to win the ball game uh, because there shouldn't be any hangover. Uh, you know, the Alamo Bowl. Think of the Alamo Bowl this year. Pencil in a loss. <laughs> because there'll be a disappointment hangover and whoever's leaving won't play in the game and you've already been there as much as the disappointment already been there kind of thing uh it's true i think what's really accelerated is just the number of guys at the number of schools who don't play in bowl games now because they're off to the nfl and can't afford an injury that trend has really accelerated quickly yeah and it's their money their body no i totally get it yeah totally get it yeah, I mean, coaches leave. Uh, plenty of coaches have left uh, between the end of the regular season and the bowl game. In fact, it's uh, one of the, the dark sides of the of college football is that you're all in, except you're not all in if yeah. you get a better offer and whatnot. And, and so that's just the nature of that business. So I understand all that, but uh, it's an opportunity here for you. to If you go to the Rose Bowl, then there is no such thing as a letdown. You'll be jacked beyond belief. Even if you should go at 8-5, and five, I still think you'll be pretty jacked to run out of that tunnel uh, in uh, Pasadena on that January 1st. It's really a special thing. Uh, been there several times at that time, and I haven't run out the tunnel. I've walked through the tunnel later on after the game, but I haven't run out of the tunnel <laughs> in f- in a uniform. you gotta, uh, you got to walk out of the tunnel. There aren't that many ways out of that stadium. <laughs> you got to go out the tunnel. I've been in the, on that field many, many times over uh, over the years. Uh, so uh, see how it happens here. You know, hopefully for the Utes that they don't roll in there as an eight and five team. Uh, maybe, maybe as a, a what uh, a ten and three team. Uh, that'd be awesome, man. If you beat Oregon twice, it seems on on paper though it does seem improbable. I have to say. Well, it's the Pac-12, so I think people expect Utah will win at home, knock Oregon out of the playoff, and then Oregon will win and go to the Rose Bowl, and the Pac-12 will be out of the playoff again. Uh, yeah, but the thing about it is if the Utes win Saturday, mm-hmm. they'll have a home field advantage. Because Oregon fans won't show, and Ute fans will drive down there in massive numbers. They will. You can only move so many people by airplane. When you're drivable and the other team is not, you've got an opportunity to have a huge advantage. There's only so many flights. There's only so many seats. <coughs> yeah, especially it, as we're getting later. Right. Uh, it's much easier just to get in the car by the time you go to the airport with two hours. Blah, totally blah, blah. agree. I would yeah, take the car over be, the airplane. Absolutely. You're, 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 you're maybe gaining an hour of travel, and it's obviously much cheaper uh, to drive. So I would think there'd be 25000 you fans there? I can see that happening. Yeah. If they, especially if they've got the win and they're energized, because right now yeah, six wins out of seven, right. that would be right. eight wins out of nine and a marquee win over Oregon. Assuming they 
they're going to be Colorado too. Yeah, you got to got to win against a top five program. Yeah, you, you, your program would be flying high. Fan fan uh, enthusiasm would be through through the roof. I already know somebody who a Ute fan has already bought fourteen tickets. No, look out! Taking yeah. the whole extended family. Yeah, yeah. Those aren't cheap tickets either. I don't know how much they cost. Uh, I know if I go, I'm not going. I'm going to pay zero dollars. Uh, <laughs> Just flash that credential. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know what tickets really cost these days, or what they're charging for that. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure. Uh, but I, I think that if the, if the Utes win Saturday, that there will be so much enthusiasm for that ball game. And I think next next if they win Saturday next week, I think next week by itself they move ten thousand tickets. Load them up. It's go time. Yeah, but yeah. that's all dependent on the win. All dependent right, on the right, victory. Right. Right. Yeah. That that is that is on Saturday. Yeah, and there'll be a little less enthusiasm for sure if they go. And uh, having lost to Oregon, but at the same time, as I say, man, I see it's improbable for the Utes to beat Oregon twice. Well, why can't I say it's improbable for Oregon to beat Utah twice? I think you can say that, and I think that's why there are plenty of people saying it'll be a split. The Utes will win at home, then Oregon wins the conference title game, and the Pac-12 beats itself up and aces itself out of the playoff again. There's a certain amount of fatalism and lowering the expectations built yeah, into that, but at the same time... I, I understand that. I, 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 I get it. I just logged on to the uh, website, and it looks like there's a lot of $45 tickets for the, uh, the Pac-12 title game. Well, it's a massive stadium, so yep. there should be. Yeah. And I don't know what, well, you can't really say, I was going to say they would set a record for crowds, but it would have to be at a neutral stadium because for a few years there in the beginning, they played it on campus. And so that's, that's a little bit misleading there as far as judging attendance and all that stuff. Since it went to Santa Clara, my guess would be that it would be the biggest crowd. I think there would be some Vegas people would go. Because uh, they sort of view Pac-12, and in the Bay Area, college football doesn't really resonate that well. And then there'll be a bunch of Ute fans that'll go, and so I'm excited. I would love to see the Utes win. Uh, I think for, as far as what we do, the biggest bang for the buck going into the game is to see the Utes win Saturday. Then at that point, whatever happens happens. But it would be we would like. To, I think we would like to see them win Saturday. Because that would really just jack up all sorts of expectation <laughs> and excitement. And, Two weeks. And who doesn't want that in our yeah. business? Two weeks of hype at that point. Yeah, yeah, and I would think that, uh, yeah, and, and obviously uh, that's what we're about. <laughs> so, I mean, in the end, I don't care personally who wins and who loses, but job-wise, I certainly do. So I'm excited for that. And I think they got a good chance to win. You know, I, I mean, I don't, I don't see where they don't. If you look at it from that perspective, uh, they're right there with these guys. Maybe, maybe I'm off. Maybe they get worked. But in my mind, I'm right there with them. I think these two teams, I don't know that I hold a distinct advantage from one to the other. Well, it could be an embarrassment of riches because not only is the Pac-12 title game on Friday night, but the Mountain West 
Conference title game is also on Friday night. It's on Fox while the Pac-12 title game is on ABC. We could get two teams in and then have them playing at the same time. And they go on campus, right? Yes. The highest-ranked team, the highest-ranked team, gets to host the game. San Diego State played in it two years in a row. One year they had to go to Wyoming, and one year they got Air Force at home. Oh yeah, I remember that Wyoming thing. They made a big deal about it, uh, how cold it was, yada yada. Although it wasn't that cold, uh, all things considered, uh, the way it can be. So, it could have been a lot it? colder. It was plenty cold if you don't live in the Intermountain West. If you're from yeah, San yeah, Diego, yeah. it's plenty you've cold. You've been up there many times, but it's not historic cold by Laramie standards. It's just no, 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 not at all. Cold December night. Yeah. And you want to talk worst-case scenario, that's what you always think about when you think about weather in Laramie. Yeah. You think of worst-case, how bad can it be? How bad can it be when you're driving on I-80 and the sun's out, but you're in a blinding snowstorm because it had snowed the day before and the wind is just whipping across the freeway? And you look up through your sunroof in your car rental and you see the sun, but as you look out the windshield, you can't see two feet in front of you. Right. It's just, uh, it's beyond belief. And that's the way it wasn't. But that's not going to happen this year. They did go alternate site last year, but I think that was just a pandemic deal. Um, San Jose and Boise played in Las Vegas, but I don't think that's permanent. Um, the, the very year before that, actually, actually, Boise State had hosted three years in a row before that. So I, I think it's back to on campus this year. I think that was a pandemic okay, well. deal that San Jose was higher rated and couldn't host. And, and so they played it with no fans also. So. Right. Yeah, I don't exactly. think that yeah, will hold again. That. I don't think that'll hold again this year. I think they'll be back to highest ranked team right now. That's San Diego State. They still got to play Boise in the season finale. They got Vegas this week, so they ought to beat Vegas, and then we'll see what happens with Boise. Are they the only ranked team in the conference right now? Yeah, yeah. Because Fresno stumbled a little bit, and Boise had the early losses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Boise's always dangerous. I don't care what the record is. I know, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> I know they're always dangerous. I'm, I'm holding my breath for that one. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and so they they've been playing better lately too. You're not yeah, doing this yeah, strictly yeah. on rep, and that that's the thing no. for Utah State. You need Utah State to um, to win out. If if the Aggies stumble, then the Aggies are going to need Boise State to lose a game. I think I don't know how it'll work if they have a massive tie. I mean, there's three, there's uh, two teams at four and two right behind them, Air Force and Boise State. So if it turns into a three way tie. You know, has Air Force won out? Has Boise won out? Boise's going to probably drill New Mexico this week. Well, there's absolutely no reason for those guys to stumble because they've got Wyoming at home on senior day, yep. and they got a lousy New Mexico team, and there'll be about 8,000 people rattling around in the right. Lobo Stadium or whatever they call it. But if they mess so, up a game, then Boise, if they lose at San Diego and they got the tiebreaker on Air Force. so Yeah, that, that, but that, that's inexcusable. It shouldn't happen, this though. Point. You're right. At this point, they should beat Wyoming at home. Wyoming yeah. looks okay on the surface when you look at the record, but the season has trended very poorly. They are five and five, but they started four and zero, oh, and they have gone one and five in conference, complete with a home loss to New Mexico. Oof! Oh my gosh! Oof! Yeah, come on, <laughs> yeah, that's this is not good. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Coming up next, we are going to talk with Antoine Staley, Oregon Ducks beat writer for the Eugene Register Guard. Get the lowdown on the Ducks coming into the big game with Utah and what they're thinking about uh, having a win out there to get to the playoff. Oregon has survived a lot of close games. 
but they pulled it off. Antoine Staley coming up next, and we'll give away two tickets to see the Jazz and the Raptors on the other side of this break. Toronto in town to face the Jazz tonight, 7 o'clock, pregame at 6. Toronto under 500 uh, in a tough stretch where they've lost five out of six, sang a game on a long Western trip, and they just got beat in Portland. So tickets to see that game tonight coming up next on The Zone. Stay with us. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Lee's Heating and Air. Lee's Heating and Air, home to the award-winning line of American Standard Furnaces and Air Conditioners. Call Lee's now for their $59 furnace tune-up special or visit them online at leesheatac.com. All right, tickets every hour on the half hour, all day long. The Jazz and the Toronto Raptors. Game tips off at 7 o'clock tonight. Raptors have lost 5 of 6. They lost to Detroit. Oof. They lost to Detroit. And then <laughs> that's how they sent themselves out on this Western road trip with a loss to Portland. All right, if you want to win the tickets, be caller 12 right now, 855-340-ZONE. 855-340-ZONE. Caller 12 right now wins tickets to see the Jazz and Raptors tonight. If you don't win now, you'll have another chance at 10.30 and 11.30 with Jake and Ben, and we will have tickets all day long right here on the Zone Sports Network. Coming up, we're going to talk with Antoine Staley, Oregon Ducks beat writer for the Eugene Register Guard. The Utes, three-point favorites over Oregon Saturday night. One of uh, three big games in college football. It's amazing how it worked out, PK, because it's all a TV show. 10 a.m., nationally ranked Ohio State and nationally ranked Michigan State. That's a top 10 showdown. And that game kicks off the day at, uh, at 10 a.m., and then after that, head straight into yeah. uh, at 1.30, Alabama, ranked number two, playing number 21, Arkansas. That's at 1.30 on CBS. And then the third game, managing ranked teams, is on ABC, and that is the Utes and the Ducks at 5.30. So if you're looking for big-time college football games, I'd suggest those three. It's all set up for you. Okay. Buckeyes. You got the Buckeyes over the Spartans. Because it's Ohio State. Because it's always Ohio State until probably yeah. I think Ohio State. I think Ohio State's hit hits groove offensively and Frost. Uh, uh, what did he say? Or no, it was uh, Brom for Purdue last week. We were lucky to hold him to fifty nine. <laughs> Eight touchdowns and eleven possessions. One punt. One field goal. One kneel down. Run yeah. out the clock. This thing's over. <laughs> we were lucky to right. hold him to fifty nine. So they've they've got it going on right now. Yeah, for sure. The defense they isn't great, but they'll outscore the you. Right now. Yeah, defense isn't great, but they can outscore you. Time to bring in Antoine Staley, Oregon Ducks beat writer for the Eugene Register Guard. Antoine, good morning. Hey, how you doing? We're doing all right. How are the Oregon Ducks doing? Are they peaking for the game against the Utes, or is it uh, too early for that kind of thing? I mean, I think defensively, I think they're playing as well as they have all year. I think they're stopping the run really well. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau has definitely been a menace recently, and I think everybody would argue, you know, one of the best players, if not the best player, defensive player in college football. And I think offensively, I mean, they're just kind of just very similar to Utah. They like to run the ball. They like to uh, rely on the ground game, the offensive line, and they throw the ball whenever they have to, too, relying on the quarterback, Anthony Brown. So, yeah, these games, these teams are very similar in that way, and I think it's going to make for a really fun game on Saturday. 
So when uh, Riddell went down, he's a great running back. We've seen him. Utes have had nightmares of him as a freshman a couple years back in a Pac-12 title game. So he goes down, and I figured Die would be able to step up, and he has. But I was wondering who would be that second back. And I look at uh, Cardwell, and it looks like averaging almost eight yards a carry. He's been that guy to basically take over for Die's role as Die takes over for Verdell's role. So can you say, even though C.J. Verdell was really good, that they haven't missed that much of a beat in the run game? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I think, uh, like you said, Die has really been they're kind of they're a bit of an MVP for this team. Not only just uh, running out of the backfield, but also catching passes too, as well. So, yeah, he's been instrumental. I think he um, and just driving that force offensively. And yeah, you talked about Byron Caldwell and uh, just the freshman has really come on as a late too. Uh, especially in the last couple of games, getting about averaging about 300 yards during that span and uh, just being a second option for them too as well. And they, they're deep. They're so deep at running back. They, Seven McGee is definitely there, another option there for two for Oregon. So, yeah, they, I mean, Verdell losing him was definitely a big blow, but, yeah, it wasn't necessarily uh, critical for them because they're still able to run the ball and do what they're doing. I mean, anytime you can average 300 yards uh, per game the last two weeks, I mean, I think you're definitely doing something right in that regard. So, assuming the Utes sell out to stop the run, run blitz as often as necessary, whatever it takes, don't let Oregon run over Utah the way Oregon State did. How much faith do you have in Anthony Brown's ability to throw the ball and beat these blitzes and beat the Utes with a passing game? Well, I think um, they're going to, I think he can do it. Just, I don't think they want him throwing the ball like obviously like 30 times a game. That's just not what Oregon likes to do, nor I don't think that's what Utah likes to do either. But, yeah, I think they do. They want to establish the two. I think they're going to at some point, but you just can't. Obviously, you give up 300 yards rushing uh, to any team, you're, you're not going to be successful for the most part. And I think that's kind of what Utah is looking to do, is try to just limit the running game as much as possible because Oregon's going to run the ball no matter what. It's just a matter of, one, just not letting them – get a lot of yards on first and second down and two just you know been able to you know contain it enough where they have to force Anthony Brown to beat him like on third third and long and third and medium situations yeah he's shown times where he's been able to he's thrown interceptions or last week it was definitely the fumble well could have been the fumble in the end zone I don't necessarily know what happened we had some bad camera angles but yeah he's shown times where he's turned over the ball but yeah, he's also shown times where he's able to be able to overcome some of his mistakes and make some big plays too. So it's just kind of what you have to take for Anthony Brown. You have to take some good and the bad as well. But yeah, he's definitely stepped up when they needed them to at times. In light of Utah going to Stanford a couple weeks back and beating them by 45 points in a game that was zero competitive from start to finish, obviously, how did Stanford find a way to beat Oregon? I recognize that there were some guys who didn't play against Utah that uh, played against Stanford, or excuse, excuse me, played against Oregon, but still, folks over here in the mountains are wondering how they lost to Stanford. Well, I think Joe Moorhead being out um, as the offensive coordinator that day really hurt them, kind of hindered them. And uh, I think that was – you sort of saw that at the play calling. I think, too, also obviously uh, defensively, really, uh, Oregon just couldn't get Stanford off the field, whether it be running or they were able to pass the ball down the field effectively, especially in, the, uh, in regulation. 
um, tying that game up and forcing overtime. And Kayvon Thibodeau also getting ejected for uh, – you know, a questionable targeting call, too, as well. That certainly didn't help things. But, yeah, I mean, Stafford, you know, they did whatever they had to do as far as throwing the football, especially in the overtime period, and that's how they were able to do it. Uh, Oregon is one of the best rushing defensive teams in the country. Obviously, Utah likes to run the football. So I think whoever's going to be able to pass the ball, you know, more effectively and avoid those mistakes, whether it be Utah or Oregon, is definitely going to have a better chance to win this game because yeah, I think both of these teams are like really going to sell out the run and uh, that's kind of going to open up some possible lanes passing the ball for both of the quarterbacks. So, But yeah, to answer your question, it's really just they Stanford were able to pass the ball effectively and I think that's something that Utah is going to have to be able to do if they're going to come out with the well, with the win here. I know they're favorites, so I can't really call it a, a much of an upset, too. So you mentioned the defense for Oregon, and they've held a lot of their better opponents have scored 20-something points. The only team to get the 30 was UCLA, and they did get one touchdown off of a, a turnover in a short field. Uh, they only had to go 20 yards. I, I'm curious, how did UCLA become the the, the one team that could put 31 points on the board against Oregon. And is there any roadmap there for the youths to do the same kind of thing? Well, they get off to a great start. Uh, UCLA got up to a 14 nothing lead and just kind of punched uh, Oregon in the mouth. And, you know, in that game in particular, they, they um, Oregon was able to settle down and uh, get some things going offensively in the second half and be able to overcome that slow start. So, yeah, I think um, the, Oregon has got off to some slow starts in games before um, this season. I mean, last week against Washington State, they got off to a really good start. They were up 14 nothing, and then the Cougars ended up coming back and tying the game and, um, at halftime. But, yeah, I think that's really the key for any team. If you're going to um, defeat Oregon, it's really hinder them to getting off to a fast start, too, um, and also getting off to a quick start on your own on the offensive end, too, and be able to get things going. And But this team has been resilient. I mean, they've been in pretty much just about every situation possible, but, yeah, they for the most part, they've been able to overcome that situation outside of the Stanford game. So I don't think it, them being down early is really going to you know, affect them uh, too much mentally, especially on the road, uh, as you saw in the UCLA game, too, as well. Thibodeau, man, because he is so good. <laughs> yeah, uh, the best. Like I said, I think you know probably the number one pick in the draft, or at least going to be in the top three. Uh, I, I know the Detroit Lions are probably going to be looking for a quarterback, so I don't know if he'll be number one per se, but yeah, he'll definitely be um, in that conversation as far as top picks in the NFL, in the twenty twenty two NFL draft. So if the Utes. Uh double him and make sure he doesn't do anything, who is next most likely to make a big play defensively for Oregon? Well, I mean, you, you, I'm sure people there recognize uh, the Sewell name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yep. Noel Sewell, uh, definitely, you know, he's been just as good this year uh, defensively for Oregon, especially when Chippendale has been out. Uh, he was out earlier this year with angle injury and didn't play against Ohio State or Stony Brook and really was on the pitch count against Arizona, but Noel Sewell is definitely a guy you have to watch for. Vernon uh, uh, McKinney, uh, they call him the general. Uh, he's definitely he leads. He's tied for the uh, nation league in interceptions with five. 
But yeah, it really starts with those guys too. Uh, those guys, like, you got one of the best linebackers in the country, and Sewell and uh, McKinney is definitely going to be up for a Jim Thorpe Award winner uh, award this year. So yeah, those two guys, I think. Or I mean, Utah's going to have to keep an eye on too, as well. Outside of uh, trying to slow down the the engine that is that and uh, Kayvon Thibodeau. Whittingham talks about at length getting off the field defensively, and he loves to look at one of the stats he looks at is third down conversion rate. And you look at the Ducks; I think they're fifth nationally from the offensive standpoint. Uh, com- uh, converting to first downs, more than half of their third down conversions. And then in the last four games, I think they're up to like 66%. Has it been a matter of just a bunch of third and shorts, or they hit on something there? Yeah, I mean, what it boils down to is like it goes back to them running the football effectively. So if they were able to run for four or five yards per carry on or first and second down. They get in these third and short situations. And uh, anytime you can get in that situation, it's definitely going to benefit the offense too as well, especially one that, you know, that has trouble at times throwing the football uh, like Oregon has had it um, at times with Anthony Brown. So, yeah, I mean, the key to them is really just getting Oregon into those uh, third and medium, third and uh, long situations where you know the you know the pass is going to come, but you know in the third and second, I mean a third and two, third and one situation, any you know anything could potentially happen, especially depending on what side of the field you're on or yard line or whatever the case may be, and that's when the Oregon usually converts, especially like kind of alluded to their fifth in the country and third down conversions. Uh, so yeah, I mean that's really how how you're going to have to slow down Oregon, but that's really been the key to them just getting in those uh, short yardage situations and been able to convert on them. So early in the year, the Utes had problems uh, covering kickoffs, and they gave up a couple of touchdowns. Now they've had problems punting the ball. They've given up a couple of touchdowns, and we're really fortunate that there was a technical mistake made by Oregon State, or they would have given up a third one. How good is Oregon on special teams, and can they take advantage of the Utes in that portion of the game? Yeah, I mean, uh, Oregon had a 63-yard punt re- I mean, kickoff return last week, so they really uh, set up a touchdown, too, later on in the game, too, and really uh, turned things around. So, I mean, it's been hit or miss, uh, per se, uh, to be honest with you. And, you know, Seven McGee has done some good things there in the return game, uh, too, as well. Uh, I know Mikael Wright ended up, uh, ended up having that long game, too, as well as kickoff return last week. But, yeah, I definitely think... It's something that uh, Oregon might be able to take advantage of, but uh, it's been hit or miss at times. It hasn't been necessarily uh, too consistent there, but they do have some playmakers that could get some potential long games too as well if you're not careful. Antoine Staley joining us, Oregon Ducks beat writer for the Eugene Register Guard. Early in the year, there were a lot of one-score games. Uh, They beat Fresno by a touchdown, beat Ohio State by a touchdown, did lose to Stanford in OT, beat Cal by a TD, beat UCLA by a field goal. The last three weeks, though, all the wins have been double digits. Has Oregon improved and turned a corner here, or is it just the fact that Colorado isn't very good and Washington and Washington State are changing coaches and in turmoil, so that doesn't really mean anything? Well, I think, yes, I think it's a combination of it all. Like, I think I think Washington State's a better team than, obviously, Colorado and Washington. So, and to have the situation that they've had and still been able to be competitive, I think they're saying a lot, too, especially with a team that 
and can get turnovers the way the Cougars have this year. And they got some off of Oregon, too, as well. But, yeah, Washington's not necessarily a really good team, although it was like a really spirited rivalry game that, you know, that Oregon got off to a really bad start in that, but they would overcome that. And then obviously Colorado is not necessarily very good either. But, you know, you got to give credit to where credit's due. Oregon care of business and did exactly what they were supposed to do. Uh, they played some nail biters too as well. Uh, like you say, you talked about the UCLA game, uh, Cal game. They didn't necessarily uh, play particularly well, but they at home, but they were overcome that. So they this team, this team has played just about every kind of a game there is to play. And I think this weekend, uh, last road game, true road game of the year against Utah, probably a precursor of the Pac-12 championship in a couple of weeks too as well. But I definitely think that it's going to be a nail, another nail-biter, especially on the road. But, you know, it, it really could go either way. I Like I said, I'm about 50-50 on how this game is going to go in particular. Yeah, you and the Vegas odds makers, right? You're no, you're no yeah. different than them. <laughs> Utah gets three points for being at home. Well, I'll just make Utah a three-point favorite then. Uh, last thing yeah. before we let you go, everyone here is curious. It's a five- or six-hour drive, depending on where you live here, to Las Vegas. And there will be a if, if the Utes are there, there will be a huge turnout for the title game. How well will Oregon travel for something like that when people might be saving their money for playoff games? Vegas is so a 15, 16 hour drive where depending on where you're coming from in Oregon, and then you know there's flights, but there's a limit to how many people can move on planes. How how well will Oregon travel to Vegas? Well, I, I can already tell you, a lot of people have already booked their flights and hotels. <laughs> already um, there in Oregon. So it's going to be a good amount of people from Oregon, too, as well. So I don't, I guess I don't know necessarily the numbers, but just from people I've talked to online and just out in the street, then people have been preparing for this for quite a while. Uh, so, yeah, I imagine it'll be a ton of Utah people. It'll be a ton of Oregon people, especially out in Vegas. I mean, you don't need a you don't need any excuse really to go to Vegas. I mean, so but <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's, but that's, yeah. watch a football game on a Friday night. That, that's a pretty damn good one, though. <laughs> well, that's why the conference moved the basketball tournament there, and that's why they moved the football championship game there. All right, exactly. Antoine, we we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. All right, thank you, guys. Antoine Staley covers the Oregon Ducks beat writer for the Eugene Register Guard. 20,000 Oregon fans, 30,000 Ute fans, 50,000 there. That, that looked good on TV. All right, I would D- say more than 50,000. That's what I'm going to guess. Really? It'll t- so if I give you 50, you take the over in Vegas parlance. I probably wouldn't if you forced me to bet, but I'm hoping. Oh, okay. All right. I think 20,000 people coming down from Oregon, it's, it's a lot easier to get there from Utah than it is to get there from Oregon. So if 20,000 show up, I would consider that a strong showing by the Ducks, especially because they're hoping to travel for, uh, for playoff games, too. So Yep. That's a, that's a lot of money and a lot of time off, and, uh, but their fan base is, is way into it. They've been winning for a while, and everybody loves a winner. All right, DJ and PK, when we come back, your feedback next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. I would just like to take this opportunity to congratulate DJ on yet another best sports reporter win in City Weekly's Best of Utah. Really, he's unstoppable. That's Jill with the open mic right there. You can use the open mic, use our app, send in your take. Y'all can play it here on the air. Time for your feedback right now. Chris 
Uh, answering the question of the morning, Sports Illustrated reports industry sources say Kyle Whittingham may retire after this season. And your reaction is, Chris says, I don't remember a season with more vacancies. Might be a tough market if this is the season he hangs him up. Except when the program's yeah, except when the program's going this well, you tend to fill from within, and there's Morgan Scally. For the other schools who are hiring or maybe trying to grab a coach from another school, yeah, I can see where you're going. Twelve vacancies already this year, and three of them have already been filled. Most prominently, Clay that's Helton. What, that's the crazy part is that stuff has been filled already. Yep. Jim Moore went to UConn, former UCLA coach. Clay Helton, the former USC coach, goes to Georgia Southern, who BYU plays this week. And Texas Tech hired Joey McGuire. Those are the three that are, are filled. And then you've got FIU, UMass, Akron, TCU, LSU, Virginia Tech, and the three jobs in the Pac-12, USC, Washington, and Washington State. It's a lot of openings, and you've got to figure there's more to come. Twenty openings when it's all said and done, PK, and you hit it. It's a big number when there's only 130 of these jobs out there in the first place. Brendan says it would be a huge loss for this program, but I also get it. He's been through so much these past years. I'd respect his decision, but we would miss him greatly. Yeah, I can sign off on that. Um, he has been through so much. PK and I were talking about this last year uh, when he was doing the Zoom press conferences. And I said after one, boy, he just looks tired. He looks exhausted. This was a full. This was more than a full-time job. Being a D1 football coach is more than a full-time job. And it's exhausting. It takes a lot of energy. And then the pandemic hit. And that adds a whole lot of new responsibilities, figuring out how to reimagine practices and meetings, meeting with administrators and medical people. And I thought he was gassed, and PK actually checked it out after that because he thought it was kind of a random comment and observation. It's like, well, yeah, this is, this is a lot more work. Who are you kidding? And that's, that's before they have two players tragically die, which is just another level of awful. So it's been one hit after another here. But, you know, the, I think the way it is here with the, with the big-time coaches who are winning, it's really the closest comparison I come up with is the big-time free agent. Big-time free agent in baseball or uh, one of those max guys in basketball. You know, when, when Kevin Durant or LeBron or whoever is up, you just if you think you can get them, you're just willing to clear the decks. You just turn everything upside down, whatever it takes to get the cap room, to bring them in and whatever player they want to bring in with them, and you just do it. And the Heat did it, and the Nets did it, and the Lakers have done it, the Cavs brought LeBron back. You just do it because they're that good. And the players have total, even below that level, you know, Gordon Hayward had the total freedom to do whatever he wanted. And what he wanted turned out to be Boston. But he had other suitors, and he could have done whatever he wanted. And that's really where we are with these big-time coaches. If they want to retire, they retire. If they want to take the next job that comes along, they just do, even if they've only been at that job for a year, like Tucker leaving Colorado, going to Michigan State. Big-time coaches can write their own ticket. Yeah, let's wait and see what happens here. Let's not say he's going to go this way or that way. And, I'll be, and I wanted to make sure that I don't know, that I stated that I don't know. I mean, he's never told me I'm retiring in 2021. I can't say that. Right. That's industry sources from Sports Illustrated. 
I can't say it either. And I think that's the point is that he'll get to do what he wants and no AD or president or anyone else, I guess, I guess a, a spouse. <laughs> but basically you get to do what you want when you're in that situation. Yeah, if I were him, I would. If I, he's got the money. You would retire? If he wants to, yeah. yeah. If, he's th- if he's even remotely thinking about it, yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, his father passing at 64 had a profound effect, as you can only imagine. And uh, he's got that deal with the Utes, uh, the contract with the school. Uh, he's, he's going to be one more win. He's the winningest coach. Uh, you got your health. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm confident in saying the end is near. I mean, obviously, it's not, that's not any breaking news that he's got far less time than he has more time. That, that, that's a no-brainer, of course. He's said that. So see where you're at. Give it a couple of weeks after the season. See where you're at. Ah, the old Jerry yeah. Sloan. Uh, the wisdom yeah. of Jerry Sloan. Take a couple of weeks. Let all the emotion drain away. Don't do some emotional. Although Jerry yeah. ultimately quit in the middle of the season. So it's... But that was what he did year after year. Oh, yeah. I can remember being on the conference calls uh, in July. It seemed like uh, for four or five years in a row. Maybe it wasn't that long, but it seemed like that, where he'd talk about wanting to come back for one more year. It's different for college because you're recruiting, mm-hmm. uh, so that could be held against you. So he can't really do in the manner of the pro coach. But I think that you take some time off, and then they've got a, a few days off before a week or two before winter conditioning starts. And then if you come back, well, you don't make any decision. You don't mean they don't have any announcement. And if you don't, if you want out, then you make an announcement, and then, then the world goes on. All right, DJ and PK, we are all done. And coming up next, Jake and Ben, right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.